Hello, this is your host, Donna Barr, and welcome to A Bazillion Ghost Stories. Does anybody really know a bazillion ghost stories? But then again, aren't all stories set in the past ghost stories? Oops, the podcast app just told me that we go from the first date of a podcast to be the season, so... The actual first season is right around the 4th of July, so we're still in the first season, and uh, I'll remark everything, and uh, I hope you enjoy. Uh, But this is just a numbering change, nothing more. Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2023, and I had a very eventful weekend. I uh, drove all the way from Clallam Bay to Seattle to go to Roberta Gregory's New Year's party, and she's had quite a life, so go to see robertagregory.com or her Facebook page if you want to see what's going on there. Um, And then I drove back, and things were a little interesting on the long trip. Going down, I discovered something that I'd been seeing on TikTok, and people had been misinterpreting as herds of animals going across roads and saying thank you at the end. But I don't think that's what they're doing. Uh, On the west side of Port Angeles, there is a new bridge being installed, and there's a light right there. And along comes the... Uh, Olympic Peninsula elk herd, at least on this end, and they're all fuzzy for winter and nobody's got antlers, and they're all crossing in front of the red light. They're obviously using the red light to cross, so it's like, okay, this is how we get the traffic to stop, but how do you guarantee that the traffic isn't going to start again when there's still a few stragglers? Well, I noticed the cows and the calves and the younger bulls were all going across, but there was a great big bull standing at the end, or it could have been a very big cow, no antlers, remember, and they're very fat and fuzzy right now, so you can't see anything else. So this last animal was standing there, like, watching and making sure that everybody got through. And then when the last calves had trotted across and gone into the underbrush, this big animal turned and looked directly at the drivers and then stepped off. I think what they're doing is saying, we're done. You can go ahead. So that way they're not ending up with panicky drivers just rushing through and maybe hitting an animal in the herd. So this may, this may be not so much a thank you as a signal to another sentient being that now you can take the car through because we're all through. So that was, that was a kind of a fun thing to see. And I have never seen the elk so furry. They were ready for winter. And I'm down here doing the podcast in the car. Now that's not because we've lost Wi-Fi or anything. It's just that I go to the library, I take my little old iPod and I download podcasts of all kind and it takes a while. So I just go out into the parking lot and use the library Wi-Fi, which in Clallam Bay is on 24 seven, no problem. And I just go ahead and download the podcast and then I can sit here and do my podcast. I remembered that this was the year of the tiger. I really hadn't been paying attention to that. And uh, there was some last minute things that did involve my needing to have kind of a predatory energy up. So I'm taking advantage of that. Next year is the water rabbit, which is, I don't know if that refers to me at all. I'm a dragon. And the next year after that is the dragon, which means since it's the imperial sign, I don't get goodies in my life. I have to help everybody else. Although it seems to be starting early. But I did get 
an early New Year's present on the way back. Uh, I think I've told people before that myself and other artists, writers, fishermen, sailors, whoever who has to deal with uh, easy death because they're traveling, we're all superstitious. So when something goes right, we say thank you. And I say thank you to Raven if I see them in the road. Uh, can I prove any of this works? No. Does it hurt you? Fine. So I'm at Hartnagel's where I am stopping off in Port Angeles on the way home because the snow and cleaning the snow off the car broke my deer whistles and you got to have deer whistles up here i mean my car looks like it was hit by it that a deer hit it because it did uh i bought it from the form, former owner and never did anything with the body work because this is a 20 year old car it's a great car but it looks like it hit a deer so i was trying to find deer whistles and all over port van angeles i couldn't find deer whistles and then I stepped out of Hartnagel's, where, where I did find the hinges I needed, because Hartnagel's a good store. Um, and there was a gentleman that had evidently been in the store, and he says, wait a minute, you need deer whistles. And I says, yeah, I'm looking all over town. I can't find them. And the guy says, well, they're pro they, I had been told they're probably in the automotive places. I was looking in sporting goods. It was like, yeah, you're right. It's probably more about the car, not about the deer. And he says, I've got these deer whistles, and I'll probably never put them on. Do you want them? I said, yay. Well, I had forgotten to take out the comic books at Roberta's party. And so I gave him the comic books. And then it was really cool because he already knew about SquatchCon, which is the Port Angeles uh, Comic Con and Open Market and everything else that's coming up. And by the way, you should go to SquatchConPA.com because they're running out of tickets already, even though it's a big space. It's the Red Lion Inn and they got all kinds of things already organized, but they're filling up fast and it's going to be a great show. So I'm going to see you there in uh, June. Oh, anything. Anyway, things started out pretty good. Plus, I got kind of a warning. Now, this involves a legal situation. Um, but that's okay. I'm probably not going to talk to anybody about this because it's a situation that happened and we'll just leave it as it is. And it kind of taught me not to be so short-tempered with other drivers. So I got home, cruise control, everything worked fine. So no hassle there. So the new year looks like it's starting pretty good. It's okay. And I hope yours are good. And I will go on with the rest of the podcast that I planned, and uh, then we will see where we go from there. So, Happy New Year again, everybody. Year of the Water Rabbit. And I need to go look and see what the heck that means. Well, I figure a New Year's podcast is a good time to talk about booze because everybody was drinking at the party a little bit, not a lot. We also started to discuss pot and wish that they would bring out back the good old-fashioned ditch weed instead of this hugely bred stuff, which can just drive your brain off the wall. Uh, and so what I want to bring up now is the business about the native Sundance. And I want to speak to this quite respectfully. That was for, for Visions. It was done by important leaders, and that is not something I'm addressing. I'm addressing how it is used, and you know how white people are. Uh, it is used um, in the BDSM community, uh, the people who are involved in pain, and evidently it's done for the same reasons, because somebody who said they, they were sun dancing, not for spiritual reasons, but to get a kick, said that within a few seconds after you get hauled off the ground with, you know, hooks in your chest, your brain is flooded by endorphins. And so they do it to get high. Well, that's what it's for. It's a vision, a vision help. And of course, for me, alcohol is my vision drug. Um, I can 
you know, see all kinds of wonderful things when I've had enough alcohol and I pay for it too, unless I get enough water. But that's just, if you hear about somebody using the Sundance, uh, don't worry about their pain level because uh, they see things. Uh, they don't so much are involved with pain because the body starts flooding them with painkillers and it needs some pretty powerful ones. So it's two different things it's being used for. Um, and I'm not going to say whether it's valid or not or whether one group got it from the other because uh, those people in Europe had all kinds of crazy stuff they did. Although I think it's probably less about pain for visions in Europe because we had alcohol. Okay, when I met Dan in the Army, he's a sergeant, I was a Spec 5, uh, he told me a story about uh, how he had got wounded and why he didn't have the Purple Heart. He didn't want it. He turned it down. And unfortunately, why he had done that didn't work out because he did not want his family to find out he had been wounded. We all got family things going on. And he had been wounded in his left hand, which is his writing hand, and he came up with all kinds of excuses like, oh, well, I'm in a hurry, I have to write like this, or get somebody else to write it, or however it had to be done. But he thought he was pretty well fooling the family, and I don't know why anybody thinks they can fool the family, but one day he got an explosion of letters because evidently at the Bob Hope show uh, near where he was in an army hospital, uh, the camera had panned over the wounded in the front row and his family saw him. Now, we never saw this piece of footage and we didn't expect to see it. It's an old black and white television clip or color. Maybe it is color, as I recall. Anyway, you'll be able to check yourself. Now, here's how the story goes. I'm telling it secondhand. And I have again and again told the stories of veterans or people who've been someplace else because they're not gonna they're not gonna tell it and the stories are gonna go away. Well, Dan was in the infantry before he became a door gunner. He became a door gunner because he knew how to take care of an M60, and that's the hardest part of dealing with a weapon is making sure it's clean, it doesn't blow up in your face or any other nonsense. And the reason he got the M60 is because it's heavy and he had large strong feet that would allow him to carry it and would not break his feet down. That is really the only choice. You need a bigger guy to carry this thing. So they're carrying this machine gun through the jungle and they'd been a little bit tired at this point and sat down on a hill and one guy's leg went into a hole. Well, they figured it was a ventilation shaft for one of the Viet Cong tunnels. Now, you're not really supposed to be going into those. They have, uh, or they had special troops who were smaller people who could go in there, but I guess they were tired, and this, by the way, has been an excuse more than once, uh, and I'll tell you that story in a little bit here after we get done with this section, but they decided they were going to go in and examine the tunnel, not considering whether or not there were people with guns in there uh, who would be at an advantage. And uh, about three guys went in, and then they called uh, Dan to follow up to cover them. Now, these are little narrow tunnels, and this is a machine gun, and there's three people in front of him. And when I tell this story, and I think your brain has already gone there, you're going to be asking, uh, how is he going to cover anybody without shooting through the three guys in front of him? 
Well, it didn't matter. They were tired. And it turned out this wasn't some small complex. This was a whole hospital. And I've run into somebody since then who uh, knows about this underground hospital complex and was serving in the area at the same time. Well, this thing was booby-trapped. And the whole thing came out. And Dan went flying off into the air. And he says, well, you know, he still owes the government a machine gun, or so he said. But uh, he got shrapnel all over the place and uh, this is one of the reasons for a long time he couldn't go through airport security because he had little pieces of shrapnel in him and those all worked out it was teeny stuff and but he did have a, a shrapnel wound in his uh, left middle finger and so he was in shock and they put him on the helicopter that came in to pick up the wounded yay they had radios before we all had smartphones so he's up there, and uh, I should say that Dan and I both live in a comic book or urban legend world, and there's an urban legend that a uh, Doberman handler grabbed the dog and threw it out of the helicopter to keep it from attacking the wounded, and that's what actually happened on the helicopter. Dan watched the dog, which had lost its mind over all the blood and tension, and another reason for not having animals in war and threw it out uh, the side of the helicopter where it no doubt got skewered on the bamboo down below. So this fun thing was happening, and they had to make sure they kept him in the helicopter along with everybody else who was wounded because uh, he was gaga at that point, and they got him to an army hospital. And he, by the way, uh, later on when one of the uh, doctors wanted to take his finger off, and it was a weird cast, it was sticking up in the air like a middle finger, which is what it was, um, one of Dan's... Uh, other people in his unit came and got him, and he is still a wall and/or deserted from a in a uh, non-extant uh, Vietnam Army hospital. Not that I think the Army wants to follow up on that. They got enough uh, to do with denying VA um, vets the health care. Anyway, while Dan was in the hospital, that's uh, when Bob Hope showed up. And uh, Dan is sitting in the front there, and he's got uh, an IV bottle. He's in a wheelchair, and he's got a nurse standing by him or somebody to take care of him. Uh, you'll be able to check it yourself because years later, we're watching the movie Forrest Gump. And there's the sequence with Bob Hope. And uh, Dan and I are both watching this, and he's going, oh, yeah, I remember Bob Hope coming up and seeing us up there. And then he said, oh, there's Arkansas. Well, Arkansas was simply the nickname of a kid who uh, was from Arkansas. It's like, you know, anybody had a long Polish-type name, some kind of long extended name, was always called Alphabet, so you didn't know their actual name. Uh, so he said, well, there's Arkansas. And I said, who's Arkansas? He's just, you know, a guy I knew who was in the hospital. And he went, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, pan back there. Well, there he is in the footage. This was the footage that uh, Bob Hope, outed uh, Dan to his family in, and uh, it's also the reason he is in the movie Forrest Gump. So if that ain't a shaggy dog story, I don't know what is. While I'm at it, we might as well continue the Dan's stories. Uh, he, in Bremerton, would get up occasionally to make snacks, and one night, and this is why you should always teach guys how to use kitchen utensils and things, he decided that he was going to toast a tortilla in the toaster and, of course, lit it on fire. Um, I think this was an oily one or something like that, an already pre-cooked one. 
but it was on fire and I heard him yell and I came running in there. Of course, you know, we sleep naked because it's the best way to sleep. And I saw this burning toaster and I have found out several ways what would happen in an emergency if I was naked because I grabbed the toaster and I'd, I must have grabbed hot pads or something. And uh, if anybody had been up into the middle of the night, they would have been treated to the site of what can only be described as a kind of rock logo of a naked, wild-haired woman flinging a burning toaster into the air, trailed by sparks and fire. I had a friend who was a pastry cook, and she said that regardless of what they were cutting up, guys in a kitchen would grab the biggest, heaviest knife they could deal with, uh, even if they were just, I don't know, cutting onions or something. And they would get some giant steak knife. It was the biggest thing they could get their hands on, like they were going into battle against the vegetables. And uh, Dan was one night... Uh, cutting a piece of cheese in the kitchen again at night. I'm asleep and I hear him yell. And he, of course, has cut his hand wide open and uh, had to wrap him up real quick with an available sterile item. And I think all women might have an idea what happened because he cut his finger. So I got him to the hospital and uh, they were unwrapping the bandage. And they said, how did this happen? And I says, well, you know, he, he was cutting a little piece of cheese with a great big knife and they go no yeah yeah a man cut and uh, I, I said i'm sorry i had to use what i used um but it was sterile it was packaged and it would glue itself together and the guy went we use panty liners all the time for finger injuries so uh if you're going camping or dealing with knives or in the kitchen or anything else keep some panty liners about they're sterile they will uh stanch blood and they glue onto themselves so they're available, so keep some patty liners in the kitchen. At this point in this program, A Bazillion Ghost Stories, I'm telling just any of my memories so they don't go missing. Uh, and I'll tell you, I discovered the only way to actually mechanically fix a Carmen Ghia, if you're not an expert, is you have to be a left-handed woman. Because one night, in the middle of the night, at Dan's parents' place, we were trying to install a muffler in the Carmen Ghia, using nothing but the lights that came from the barn and a flashlight. And so Dan's left-handed, and I'm a woman. And so, in other words, he could get his hands in at the right angles. And I have small hands, so I could get the other angles. And it wasn't made any easier by the fact that their dog Spike, a boxer, and you know what they're like, was going to help us with everything. Because whatever we were digging into must have been edible. And he was going to help us with. So if you're going to ever fix your Carmen Gear or you're going to put a muffler in, uh, you need somebody who's left-handed, a woman, and a boxer. Oh, and here's that story I promised you. I was at NorwestCon, which is a sci-fi convention, and I was on a panel. And they had uh, somebody there who was a vet from one of the oil wars. I forget which one, whichever one we're trying to grab. And he was in his dress greens, was Army, and he had all his medals and everything on. And uh, he had obviously been very carefully coached on what to say and how to act. And he was telling a story about how he got wounded and everybody was being all respectful because there's this whole, you know, culture of treating the veterans like they're, you know, special people, especially uh, now um, when none of them are draftees. They joined to go do this stuff. And so you knew the job was dangerous when you took it. 
And uh, so anyway, he's talking, sitting there talking about a story about he, how he and Humvee got blown up with a bunch of other people. And I forget what the details of it were, but it was so obviously stupid. It was you know, like the business with taking a machine gun in to cover people in a narrow tunnel. And I'm sitting there with a funny look getting on my face. And I finally turned around to the guy and I said, you did what? And he did that thing where humans throw their hands up in the air and then come down again. You know, the one that kind of like drag queen flap. And he went, I know. And after that, the stories were wild and funny and more true to you know what it's like to serve in the military. It was like somebody had caught him in the BS that the military forced him to cover up things with. And here was somebody who knew about it. And now he could really tell the story and, uh, he had a lot of fun. Uh, so the next time you see some vet carefully telling a story like their commanders told him, you know, if you, if you dare mess up and reveal us for the idiots we are and ask him what really happened, he might just tell you. It wouldn't ha hurt to buy him a beer and a meal because uh, the military's got a rule. Never pass up a free meal and uh, beer is always welcome. And in case I didn't say it was before, uh, his excuse was, oh, well, we were tired. And if we're going to tell stories about Dan, we might as well still tell stories about me. Uh, first of all, uh, I can live on milk and mashed potatoes. And by the way, that includes soy milk. Because when my mom was carrying me, she ate nothing but raw potatoes. And the body basically cooks those, tears apart all the molecules like a convection stove or a microwave and feeds them to the kid. And she had help from our cat, Black Mickey. And so I was, when I was born, I could literally survive on potatoes and, mash and milk. And I could still do that even if the milk is soy milk. Here's something that's closer to the title of this program. Uh, it's about the time that I was staying with my sister. And I don't know if I've told this story yet, but I'll tell it again if I haven't. Uh, I used to be scared to death of the dark as a kid. And I think in the course of telling these stories, you found out why the house we lived in wasn't right. And I was always wrapped up in a green blanket sleeping on the couch. I learned then to sleep on couches. I didn't have a problem with that. But my sister woke up one night, and there is a figure standing by the bed. And she said she just about had a heart attack, because it's me in the green blanket with doing the Darth Vader breath. Uh, you could see it as the breath moved. And I was sleepwalking, but I just reached out in the blanket and patted her on the head, and then went back to, to bed. But the next morning, she says, girl, you just about killed me. I was so scared. She basically got to see that vision that we all fear, the horrible sheeted thing hanging over the bed. And this evidently wasn't the only sleepwalking I did because she was in the kitchen one night and I came down the stairs. I was not sheeted, but I was sound asleep and she saw me take all the silverware out of all the drawers and carefully put that all out on the table, shushing myself the whole time, and then go back to bed. And so she put all the silverware away, and she got done with whatever she was doing. Maybe it was a midnight snack or something. And then I come back down the stairs, 
and put all the invisible silverware back in the drawers, even though my sister had already done it. And again, I'm shushing myself the whole time. I have no idea what that was about. You've heard the stories about my idea that mom might have rode with Dillinger at one point and picked up some safety tips. Uh, there's a bridge uh, that goes from Seattle to the Magnolia Hill in Seattle, and there is a staircase. If you're riding a bicycle, you really need to cross underneath the bridge on a, a, hanging, a hanging walkway and then go back up the staircase. And as I got to the other side, I saw a guy with a screwdriver in his hand working himself up to some kind of shit. No doubt going to attack some woman like they usually do. I'm mad at my girlfriend or my dad yelled at me, so let's go get a woman because we hate him and we're going to go get one anyway and nobody's going to miss her because she's just a woman. So I thought, now how am I going to get past this clown? So I got a bicycle with me. And at the time, uh, people did not know that some bicycles were very lightweight. So I shouldered this thing easily and just tromped past him and practically hit him with the bicycle as I went back up the stairs like I knew what I was doing, didn't even look at him, just busily on my way with what he perceived as a very heavy thing. And he just kind of backed off and hid the screwdriver and didn't do anything. And one thing I have found out with the murder podcasts is all these people who murder women all the time and little kids and rape little kids, when they end up in jail, they are known for model behavior, being model prisoners. And I'll tell you why. It's because they don't want to cross guys. And so all you got to do is back them off a bit. And everybody's always going on about, no, you can't fight. You know, you'll get killed. They're going to kill you anyway. This is, this is not, and I hate to make this comparison. This isn't just a case of rape, in which case sometimes it's better not to fight because that could escalate to killing. This is for guys who are actually working themselves up to kill you. You might as well fight because you've got a 50-50 chance. If you don't fight, it's 100%. So it's not the same thing as rape. That can escalate into into murder. That's something completely different. And uh, But when it comes to they're going to go out and try to find somebody to kill, it's because they're raving cowards and there's somebody else they want to kill or hurt and they don't dare. Speaking of bicycles, there was a time I did not grab the bicycle when I should have. I was living at my sister's house and I get a call. Uh, this was back in the days when kids wore bicycles all over the place. And a woman says that my nephew has been in a bicycle accident. So I did not grab the bicycle. I just ran. And I ran quite a long ways. It was exhausting, but I wanted to get there. And here's my poor nephew, who, by the way, his adult teeth have just come in. And this woman has a fluffy, shaggy, white carpet. And he has just knocked out all his front teeth, upper and lower. And her carpet is all over blood. Thank goodness she uh, called me at home. I was babysitting the other kids. And uh, that poor kid, but I'll never forget him having all his teeth broken out at the worst time. And that woman not giving a damn about her carpet, just trying to get a hold of somebody the kid knew. I don't know why she didn't call 911. Maybe it's because he, what he did was on the bicycle, and this is really burying the lead. Uh, he did a, um, a head flip on the bicycle and landed face first in the gravel of her yard. So I guess maybe she wanted to get a hold of the family first or maybe she I don't remember all the details, but all I really remember is that poor kid bleeding in that white carpet that wasn't white anymore. I've been telling these stories sort of as they happened within my life. And there's something out there. I don't know if it's Reddit or no, wait a minute. It's not Reddit. It's something awful. 
uh, evidently somebody made a comment about my Stintz comics on something awful. And I don't know if it's good, bad, or indifferent, but it just ended up being a whole blow-up discussing my work, including a lot of confusion. Uh, as I've said about my comics, I write them on about 12 different levels, and there's some people who get three levels, and there's some people who get all 12 levels, and then there's the people who get about 20 levels that I never wrote, and so I dipped into this uh, Donna Barr thread on something awful, and at the time, and that was quite a while ago, uh, it was like a thousand pages, something like this, it went on and on and on, and it was just crazy. Uh, people were making um, profound comics, nuts comments, nuts comments, funny comments, but I decided I would stay out of there because that was a fan site, even though I'm the writer. And I was at a party once a few years ago, and a girl got excited to meet me because the only way she knew me was from the Donna Barr thread on something awful. Would you like to be part of this podcast? You can go to anchor.fm slash Donna-Bar and you can leave me a voice message with your story that can become part of this podcast. If you would rather have me read it, send a PDF or PDFA, double-spaced, larger type to DonnaBar01 at gmail.com. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash Donna Barr. And finally, if you would like to know anything about what I've done in my life that has to do with my work, conventions, etc., go to DonnaBarr.com. Hope to see you there. I will also put all this information in the program notes. A spooky 